To start off here, I wanted to ask you to imagine yourself as a famous detective. It could be Sherlock Holmes, Poirot, or even Detective McTaylor from CSI Miami. Literally, it could be any detective. And let's pretend you're working on an important case, the case of an important work of art that was stolen. So uh, you're very confident that the owner of the painting is guilty. He was the first one to call 911, but at the same time, he always acted strangely when asked about his whereabouts during the day the painting disappeared, giving a somewhat confused answer. And at the same time, you find out that he raised insurance premium a few weeks before that happened. And given this evidence, you consider him the prime suspect. Imagine, however, that after a few days, the forensic team gets back to you with uh, new evidence. New evidence that someone else's fingerprints were found at the crime scene and surveillance camera footage is found showing a hooded man entering the house at night while no one is there. So tell me, what do you do? Do you keep on investigating the owner because of past evidence or do you update your suspicions based on that new evidence? Well, you definitely update your suspicions in the face of new evidence, although that doesn't mean the painting owners wasn't the guilty one, but, uh, you know, he could have very well hired someone to steal it and collect the insurance money, but, you know, you would open up yourself to considering new possibilities. And so, because if you wouldn't update your thinking, you would be guilty of negligence as a detective, right? And the truth is, the same thing applies to many other situations in life and business. Think of a doctor who does not change his prescription for a patient even after a new blood test shows that the first diagnosis was wrong and that the treatment failed to work. Or think of a construction company that halfway through the development of a new skyscraper realizes that it is being built on dangerous terrain and despite this new evidence and the fact that the building is already halfway through, engineers just think, well, let's finish it because of all the hard work we've put so far. You might be like, that's crazy. And you're right, these can even be considered crimes. But let me bring a provocation to the table here. Isn't that what we do in business and in life the whole time? See, life, business, and the world at large show us new evidence all the time, but we do not update our beliefs in the face of this new evidence, and we often maintain the good old status quo. The question here, however, is why does this all happen? But how we can get over this? And in particular, how does this affect our ability as leaders to navigate the world of Web3? And the answer has actually a lot to do with an experiment done in the 1950s, of which we're going to talk about in this episode. But before that, here's your host, Andrea Iorio, speaking. I'm an Italian keynote speaker to more than 100 companies per year, focusing on digital transformation, leadership, and innovation, and a best-selling author of two books in Portuguese. I'm based out of New York City, and I worked over the last 10 years in Brazil as the head of Tinder and as chief digital officer at L'Oreal. I'm an economist specialized in behavioral science from Bocconi University. I hold a master's degree in international relations from Johns Hopkins, and I currently teach at the executive MBA at Fundação Don Cabral, the top executive business school in Latin America, according to the Financial Times ranking. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to get in touch, you can contact me at andreaiorio.com or on LinkedIn, where I engage daily with my community of more than 60,000 followers with contents at the intersection of business, technology, behavioral science, and philosophy. So, hit me up there. In 1951, a researcher at the University of Chicago, Carl Dallenbach, did an experiment. 
He showed to many participants a confusing image with many dots, black and white, and initially no one could see anything in there. And he would ask him, you know, what would people see in that image? And then, you know, most of them replied just that that image couldn't say anything to them. And then Dallenbach would say that it represented a cow. And actually, once he said that, everyone, after being initially surprised, kind of felt even stupid for not having said that before, because it was so clear it was the image of a cow. And eventually people admitted that could even stop even thinking about that cow and seeing her in that image. And well, this is the phenomenon that Amy Webb calls reperception. And what is reperception all about and why it is so important in a world that changes exponentially? Well, you see, the futurologist Alvin Toffler has already said that the true illiterate of the 21st century is not who cannot read or write, but who cannot learn to unlearn and relearn the whole time. And what does he mean by that? Well, just perhaps that the greatest skill today is our ability to reperceive things. So, reperception is basically critical thinking. It's about a beginner's mindset that I already talk about in other episodes that is our ability to let go of our past beliefs and to absorb new knowledge and reformulate our view of the world and business the whole time. A bit of that critical thinking that looks at new problems that arise in the market and solves them by constantly reinventing itself without waiting for others to solve them before you do. Look, in business, a company that for me, really knew how to re-perceive uh, the changes in the market and reinvented itself multiple times in front of them is NVIDIA, a company that started with GPUs but later expanded to become a true AI company and that today has the ambition to become the leading company in the construction of the metaverse. And the initial perception of being a GPU-only company did not limit it to reinventing itself in the age of AI and today in the age of Web3. Because let's think about Web3 and how it asks uh, leaders to re-perceive everything and challenge their beliefs the whole time. Because the impact of technologies is so profound that, as we saw in episode one of this podcast, it changes the spirit of time, the zeitgeist, and asks for new skills. Well, I'm going to make it a practical example, including rescuing something we talked about in the previous in the episode uh, four, actually, which analyzed the impacts of Web3 in the pharma sector. Because imagine that you're the leader of a consumer goods company that manufactures shampoo, for example, and you discover that a certain batch of your shampoos is giving a side effect because of manufacturing error. This batch of thousands of shampoos has already been sold last month to your distributor. Your distributor has already sold it to small retailers in the region. And the small retailers have already resold practically all the shampoos to end customers. In fact, since there are many advertisements on Amazon and, you know, that your shampoo of you know, by third parties, you can also imagine that some of these shampoos have already been resold by the end customer to other consumers. So you, as the leader of this company, you know, you want to track these products quickly. But let's face it, the first belief that comes to mind is obviously, well, since I'm not going to be able to know exactly uh, who has which shampoo, I'm going to have to think about plan B. And if it doesn't work, a plan C, discarding from the onset the possibility that we can know in real time who the consumer is and who bought what. Well, but what about the world of Web3? Interestingly enough, this belief no longer works because the truth is that through blockchain, as transactions between customers are carried out using the blockchain, you will know exactly who 
uh, has which products, where they are in real time, and you can notify their customers and make easily the recall. Or think about the role of digital twins. If I'm the leader of an aviation company that operates in southern Southeast Asia, and I'm considering the purchase of a new model of aircraft from Boeing, which is super modern, but I don't know how it will perform in heavy rain situations that often happens in the region, the first thing I will think about is... Well, since I cannot simulate all the possible atmospheric conditions that might exist and see how the plane will hold up, I'm going to take chances uh, or, you know, like, uh, or I'm going to believe what Boeing told me or so on. In other words, you already kind of rule out the possibility of having, you know, of being able to have perfect simulations, which in the world of Web3, you will be able to do. Take an example uh, from Ericsson. In, uh, with the NVIDIA Omniverse, uh, Ericsson is building urban-scale digital twins to help ac accurately simulate the interaction between 5G cells and the environment for maximum performance and coverage. So if a virtual tree falls and hits a 5G antenna in Stockholm, does it make noise in Chicago? Well, thanks to Ericsson, we now know that the answer is yes. And everything from the location of trees to the height and composition of buildings is crucial because they impact 5G wireless signals on networks serving smartphones, tablets, and millions of other internet-connected devices. So that do you realize that in the world of AI and Web3, uh, we are going to have past beliefs broken down the whole time and show you know this word shows us new evidence the whole time but it's if us as leaders we do not have this skill of reperception we will be stuck and inflexible in face of these changes in other words the leader's ability in the web3 is no longer just to perceive but to reperceive not just thinking but rethinking the whole time not just to make good decisions but to rethink them all in face of new information and external changes now Everything sounds great so far, but there's one big problem. Rethinking and reprogramming our brain is probably one of the hardest things to do. Why? Because changing your mind, more often than not, requires you to struggle with your own identity. Admitting you were wrong sounds easy, but it's not. We have to face the fact that we've been walking around the world all this time believing something that is not true. Still, worse than that, we have to admit that we're kind of people who walk around getting it wrong. And so, yet... You know, it's really liberating to admit that we're wrong or that we don't know something. A weight suddenly, you know, leaves our minds, like telling the truth after holding back a lie. But not just liberating, it's valuable too. No longer burdened by the need to be right, we have the chance to learn something new and understand the word better. So let's listen to what Adam Grant, a great expert on the ability to rethink, tells us. So, one day, he gave a speech but didn't know that Daniel Kahneman was in the audience. Daniel Kahneman is a living legend and one of the greatest social scientists of all time. And Adam Grant came down from the stage and that's when he saw him. Daniel Kahneman was there. So he interrupted him and said, that was wonderful. I was actually wrong. And so his eyes lit up as he said that and he, you know, started to shine. And Danny is not someone that really, uh, you know, is around smiling or shining the whole time. So Adam was really impressed by the reaction and intrigued by these two normally contradicting phrases. Usually what you expect people to say is that was wonderful. I was right. Or actually you were wrong. Let me tell you why. And so Adam ended up sitting down with him and asking him to explain this reaction because he said, I've seen this a few times. I've seen you making predictions. People end up running an experiment and you see something that's not what you expected and you seem really to love being wrong. And the first thing that he said, he said, nobody likes to be wrong, but I like to have been wrong because it means I'm less wrong now than I was before. 
And most people would never do that. But that's different about Danny. What is different about him is that he seemed to do it well, even while his core beliefs were attacked or threatened. He seemed to rejoice in being wrong, even though in things he deeply believed in. And when Adam asked him about it, why and how, he said finding out I was wrong is the only way to be sure I learned something. So in the how part, he said that for him, it's about attachment. He thinks that there are good ideas everywhere and his attachment to his ideas is very tentative. He doesn't fall in love with them. They do not become part of his identity. And the ability to let go and say, look, your ideas are not identities. Uh, they're very important for leaders. They're just hypotheses. Sometimes they're accurate more often times than not. They're wrong or incomplete. And that's what it, you know it's to be like, not just being a social scientist, but a good thinker or a good leader. And that's why a good leader, entrepreneur, or even, you know, leader or a person need to have this ability to re-perceive things, as Amy Ab would say, uh, in the world of Web3, because the changes that its technologies have introduced in the business world are so profound and sudden that the certainty of an idea is not, you know, like going to be right for a long time. But in addition to ego, as the example of Adam Grant and Daniel Kahneman brought up before, I would say that there is another great difficulty here that hinders us when it comes to rethinking. That is, the fact that while technology evolves exponentially, human beings still think linearly for the most part. You see, we live in an era, in this third big wave of the internet, of new discoveries and rapid changes unlike any other era. And what makes this moment particularly unique is that these changes are happening at a speed that is hard for our brains to comprehend, graphically represented by a mathematical expression not often found in nature, that is, an exponential curve. So our minds have been conditioned to think about growth and change in linear terms because that's what we're familiar with. Think about how we age one year at a time. Think about how a tree grows as new branches sprout slowly and predictably. We're not used to seeing situations where things change gradually and then suddenly at an unexpected speed. So that to illustrate the point, let us borrow a famous story of the origin of how the game of chess started. So the legend says that it's the creator of chess gave it as a gift to an emperor in India. And the emperor was so impressed by the ingenuity of the game that he felt obliged to give the man a reward and asked him what he would like to receive as a reward. The, hen, the man humbly replied, Oh, emperor, my wishes are simple. I only wish this. Give me one grain of rice for the first square of the chessboard, two grains for the next square, um, four for the next, eight for the next, and so on for all the 64 squares, with each square having twice the number of grains in the previous square. The emperor was surprised that this resourceful man only wanted a few grains of rice as a reward for such a wonderful game, and without much thought, he granted the man his wishes. But it was not until some time later that his treasurer returned and warned the emperor that it would be impossible to pay the man the amount requested, as the amount of rice rose to an astronomical amount far more than his empire could produce in many, many centuries. So how could the emperor be so easily deceived? Well, simple, he was thinking linearly as most of us tend to do, while the resourceful man understood and used the power of the exponential curve. And here's the threat, or the opportunity, depending on your point of view and the time horizon in which you want to see through. Humans tend to think linearly, but the technological changes we are experiencing right now follow an exponential curve. See, Gert Leonard, a highly regarded futurist, is known for saying that technology is exponential, but humans are not. 
His advice? Well, don't try to compete with the machines. Instead, focus on doing the things that are inherently human and that machines cannot copy. And this is exactly how the Web3 era leader looks to the future and sets his strategic vision. Well, it's with these reflections that I leave you for this week. That's it for today. Thanks for making it until the end. I'd also love to hear what did you think about this episode through my website, andreayaro.com. Talk there and see you in the next episode. Until next week.